Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome back to our Watch Club for The Mandalorian Season 3. One does not speak unless one knows. Welcome back to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 4, Chapter 20, titled The Foundling, directed by Carl Weathers. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we get stolen by a giant mama bird, let me introduce you to my fellow Mandalorians joining me for this episode. First up, he's the juxtapositional Django-loving, Jar Jar-justifying, Jawa-junkin' Justin, the Lumpawaroo Lawrence. <laughs> What's going on? We didn't get Jar Jar today, but uh, we got the next best thing, so hey, very excited. Hey. <laughs> you know, some would say the, the, the better thing, for sure, yes, for sure. For sure. Uh, but alongside him, we are stoked to have joining us the admirable and authentic Orabesh reading astromech from Octo Radio. He's Alden, the Dianoga Dyad Diaz. I don't ever want to leave this, this alliteration <laughs> planet like that it? we just landed on. I, I'm blown away. While you were doing the like the, the, the Jawa and the, the Jar Jar and everything, I was like, is he going to do one with A? How does he do one with A? You know um, what? It's yeah. a website. You, I literally the amount of Google searches I have Star Wars words that start with the letter this <laughs> for every different host that we have on here. Um, yeah, man, uh, great to have you on. Wonderful to to get to talk to you about this uh, short but sweet chapter of the Mandalorian. Before before we dive in, um, you know, I encountered you on on Twitter, uh, where I have to say it was it was so refreshing to see someone speak so positively in a sea of negative takes on that platform. And, uh, and I, I immediately went to your YouTube. I watched your discussion with Ryan Johnson uh, and, uh, and, and he called it uh, having a generosity of soul um, for our listeners who might not know you, who are you and what are you all about? What I'm all about is advocating for this stuff. I feel like in a certain way where uh, you know, it, like you said, Octo Radio, I do the hosting, I do the podcasting, I do stuff in Star Wars and other fandoms and things like that. And I work in radio full time. And so being plugged in is my life. That's what yeah. I've been doing. I, first time I podcasted was when I was 14. And now I'm 27. Oh, wow. And so it, I've been doing this nonstop for years. And um, in some form or another, reviewing comic books, whether that's in written form, video form, reviewing movies, websites that have risen and fallen and, you know, conventions and all that stuff um, while developing the actual career and everything and doing stuff at iHeart and other places like Fandango or Star StarTrek.com, stuff like that. And in that, I, I came to a realization very quickly, like Ryan said with that wonderful generosity line, is that you're always going to like and dislike things. Well, why lead with the dislike? A yeah. lot of the times, a criticism that I get or or just a regular observation that I get is like, oh, you really like a lot of stuff. You really like everything. It's actually <laughs> very far from the truth. It's just that I don't take the time to make that my presence, to make yeah. that my feed. If I talked about everything that I disliked, it'd be very easy and mm. it could go on all day. 
but why would I do that? And so, because I love Star Wars, it's like my Star Wars uh, output is trying to engage with the work. Um, I have my favorites. I have my least favorites, like everybody else does. I have stuff that works for me, doesn't work for me. But uh, the what I want doesn't really play into my analysis of it as much as I can separate them. Because once it's made, what I want doesn't matter. It's, you know, mm. what did they do? What did they try to do? Did that work for me? What does that mean? And I think that in a world where, as you guys both know, the more reductive stuff gets the ad money and the clicks and everything. It's like yeah. at that point, what we do is kind of an act of resistance. You know, like people can look at something like what we're going to talk about today with a certain Jedi and they could say, oh, that's just a, that's a fan service deep cut to cameo. And it's like, okay, fine. Cynically, sure, maybe. But what does it mean? How did it affect our characters? What's going on there? I feel like I never really left English class, and I try to <laughs> keep that going uh, in terms of the work. I love that. I love that, and I love, I love the, yeah, the idea that, um, you know, I think going into this, it's, it's the the you you kind of speak with a reverence of the creation of Star Wars with as much reverence as you have for Star Wars itself. Uh, and that's not, I don't think that's something that everyone necessarily does. So that's was, that was one of the things that I really appreciated was I just sort of, I noticed like this guy's really, he really knows his stuff in terms of like taking the time to, to think about the, the actors, the cinematographers, the producers, the, the, all the different components that go into making the things we love um, and how they're just as important as the story itself. And uh, I really did appreciate that uh, about you. Um, I wanted to ask to kind of give our, our listeners a good sense of your sort of your uh, core fandom for Star Wars. This is going to be tough, okay? But you've got four spots. Your Star Wars Mount Rushmore. Who are the characters that you're putting on your Star Wars Mount Rushmore? Two of them I could fire from the hip very easily, which is great. So that, that takes away half the work. It's Han Solo, Sabine Wren. Oh, so that's nice. that's right there. Good boom, boom. Choices. That's one A, one B. Han for my entire life. Sabine for now, almost ten years. Next year's ten years of Rebels, which is yeah, wow, nuts. nuts and we're gonna to get to see her again pretty yep. soon. Live action, pretty, yeah. pretty soon. Go. I don't want to date your episode too much, but obviously we're recording this one after the Foundling episode. After the Foundling, directed by Peter Ramsey. Who's who's directing on Ahsoka? So Ooh. I'm officially on Sabine Watch. I'm on Sabine Watch now. <laughs> I like this. Uh, I like I'm, this. Scoping, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So that's that's two. I think three. Uh, maybe Kylo Ren slash Ben. Okay. Uh, yep. And then four. It it honestly at this point could be could be Din Djarin. Uh, he that's you that's a four that i've given before that i feel comfortable with mm -hmm. but then that 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 four slot does sort of it ebbs and flows you know if i'm in the middle of a higher public book i have my favorite higher public character i have my favorite <laughs> you know so so that does vary but yeah that's the four that i feel comfortable giving um and it's also a nice spread of eras and and television and film and things like that it feels feels whole i love it i love it yeah, definitely a good and it's a good spread sort of across the across the fandom in terms of you know old school, new school sort of uh, choices. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of like what I would choose myself, and oh boy, it was tough. Um, I for me, I'm going to throw out Mace Windu. Uh, big fan of Mace Windu. I think he's he's pretty dope. I wish we had more of him. <laughs> I think everyone does. Uh, Obi Wan Kenobi because Obi Wan Kenobi. 
uh, Maul, uh, just I think is such a dynamic and interesting character. Um, and then Ahsoka actually has is kind of my fourth spot. If if we're leaving that fourth spot as like a an open uh, you know sort of ebb and flow, then I probably would put Ahsoka in there, and I'm I'm stoked to see more Ahsoka in the future. I love that yours had Maul right behind Kenobi, right where he wants to be at all times, just creeping on him. <laughs> That's him. Normally, you know what? I'm in the middle of a move right now. I got my my Obi Wan mythos here. Uh, my Maul mythos has just been has just been packed up, uh, which I mean that's you know kind of makes sense because he was the he was the first to go, I guess. Unfortunately, um, Justin, how about yourself? Do you have a do you have a Star Wars Mount Rushmore? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I didn't prepare him for this. One. Yeah, you didn't. Um, <laughs> I, I would have to say um, Darth Vader or, or Anakin Skywalker. Is definitely uh, on on this Mount Rushmore. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of Ezra uh, from the animated series uh, as well. Uh, loved Rebels, and I think by that standard, I'd also put Sabine on my on my Star Wars Mount Rushmore. Um, and then finally, uh, I'd have to go with uh, Ahsoka. I loved nice. Ahsoka. I, I was you know I was kind of iffy at the beginning of Clone Wars, but you know, she I think a lot of people were she really grew into her character and, and her story was was absolutely fantastic and to see it continued. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see what's what's next for, for her journey. Interesting. A, a character like her uh being someone that I think a lot of the fandom eventually came around to. Uh and I think we've got a character or at least an actor uh who portrayed a character that I know a lot of the fandom uh has I, ho- hopefully uh, come around to especially after this episode so let's get let's get into it you know before we're we're rescued by someone truly amazing uh, in so many ways let's get to this week's episode so we open this week uh, as we see the entire Mandalorian covert training looking like uh, Spawn Island before a match of Fortnite uh, and we cut away to see Grogu hanging out with some uh, moving rocks which are revealed to be some type of hermit crab as Din picks him up he says playtime's over and all the little rock crabs crawl into the water Grogu is then placed down in front of the same foundling we met in episode one and the two of them spar off in a, a wrist dart shooting challenge and after two rounds of getting shot uh, Din reminds Grogu that he's seen what he can do and that it's okay to show them then Grogu does a couple of flips back and forth uh, and then shoots his challenger three times thus winning the challenge so let's stop here right off the bat what did we think uh, Alden what did you think of this opening uh, and getting to see our sweet little Grogu shot with paintballs on a very uh, surface level I never realized how purely adorable it would be when Grogu started getting uh, we- weapons attachments and things like <laughs> so when big. that when that gauntlet when they said darts I was like surely he's not actually gonna wear his own Mando bracer and then yeah. when they put it on his wrist I was like so cute <laughs> it's on his I, arm I heard all the dollar signs and cha-chings and everything going <laughs> off because now they can just sell another doll and this type Absolutely. of shoots things um, yeah. so that's I loved that but then on the on the emotional level, it was a reminder, I think, to Grogu and therefore to us that Luke's choice of you can return to your father or you can continue training as a Jedi Knight were was not the end of the choices. And mm. I think Grogu realized in that moment choosing dad also means choosing all of this. And can I synthesize myself with what they do? 
um, because he does have a Jedi history that goes back even pre-Din, as we see in this episode, even more of, um, in some huge ways. And so it's interesting to think, like, it, it all hangs over him now, too. Din has to figure out his Mando journey, and now so does Grogu. After two seasons, he's armoring up. He's having to do the training, and, and it's cool to think that Din carries the weapon, the Darksaber, which is of a Mandalorian Jedi, and his son is now going to be one, too. Yeah, um, that's pretty dope. And it, and I also loved the Bo-Katan moment, too, of, like, mm-hmm. being the stepmom. Like, he's yeah. just proud of you. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so cute. Yeah, I know. It was, it, was, it was an absolutely adorable scene to see, you know, Grogu kind of, like, struggle with how to use these darts and face off against... I believe it's Ragnar is, is his name? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, Din is obviously clearly being the dad, you know, pushing Grogu to be become what he's like he a knows. dad at like a sports game like exactly like <laughs> you, you know, can like, do it son you can do it look you at can him do it. yeah um and you know embracing the training of, of the mandalore you know over the that of, of of the jedi training and you know we do get to see that bit of jedi training because what i love in this moment is that grogu is is you know communicating with these hermit crabs he is training with the force by connecting with with the life around him and i think that's so beautiful to see how he has come so far in his own jedi training in that moment and then here you have din the dad nope you're not playing with rocks come on let's let's go you're not a jedi anymore let's let's go you got to be a mandalorian now um this might be a bit of a opportunity for din to understand how to embrace some of that training how how we need to understand that he is still a a a, a I guess a, a child of the force, if you will. Yeah, I think that this was this was a very interesting moment to just see how this journey for for Grogu is going to be, maybe maybe bumpy a little bit at times. Well, and I also love Grogu's um, apprehension here when he 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 does kind of do the the look back at his dad little look that was just super cute. But um, but I think I'm wondering if it was something that was imbued upon him by Luke, like as if to say like it's not safe to show others that you're a Jedi. Right, and so maybe that's why he's kind of holding back initially. Is that or maybe not to he's, fight? He's well, maybe yeah, to kind of hold off and fight. But I do think like you got to imagine Luke's like, dude, don't let people know you're a Jedi right now. Yeah, and I, I think that there's also an interesting like sort of silent kind of little arc that's happened where when we had Grogu in season one, he's I've always talked about his his Force arc has been really beautiful to see. He goes from being very reactionary in season one of Mandalorian where. His force moments are desperation instinct calls, like the Mudhorn, I will block it. Or, mm. you know, Cara Dune, he thought his dad was in danger, so he used force choke. And then the flames, he was able to block the flames. By the end of Book of Boba Fett, he's making conscious choices. Like, oh, the Rancor just needs a nap. Like, he's being way more intuitive <laughs> yeah. and connecting. You've also seen his perceptiveness grow in terms of violence. Like, season one, he's kind of along for the ride, like a baby or more of a pet. Season two, it was a big trailer moment where it's like, oh, dad's about to dad's about to, you know, end some fools and he closes his pram and locks up. <laughs> yeah, it's like is the fact that Grogu was in Order 66 and that's part of his trauma. And we know that he suppressed a lot. Is he kind of like, I don't want us to shoot people. I've seen mm-hmm. what happens there. Yes, I've continued to see what happens. I, you guys are all good with that. I don't want to. You know, yeah. I don't want to make that part of what I do. I, it's a, it's, a, it's dark and sad, but it's possible. But yeah. it's also probably being better too, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. kind of making the better decision of of how to go about using the force. Like you said, like it was so reactive the way the first times that we saw him use it as defense and 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 just he didn't know the strength that he had and now that he's more aware, 
and we see him putting a rancor to sleep. Like, again, I think just him sitting here talking with these hermit crabs that look like rocks to Din and the rest of the audience to see all those hermit crabs walk up. It goes to show that he was training. He was training his mind and his soul with, with connecting with the force. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm again, they, they sort of continue uh, showing us these connections with uh, the force through through creatures and through animals. And uh, I love that about Dave Filoni's Star Wars stuff. It's so good. Uh, let's keep going here. Off lamenting about losing to a foundling half his size. Uh, the boy that the, the boy that lost is what I'll call him for now until we get to the part of the episode where he's called his actual name. Uh, the boy that lost is suddenly scooped up by a giant winged dragon bird creature, which Bo at one point calls a raptor. Um, and uh, as Din attempts to shoot it, Paz stops him, warning him that it might kill the child. Uh, instead, they decide to take off using their jetpacks to follow it back to its lair, flying through the, uh, the canyons. Their jetpacks start to run out of fuel, and they have to land. Uh, but then overhead, they hear the booming sound of the gauntlet as Bo chases after the winged beast into the sunset. So listen, they got to find somewhere else to train because Jimmy Kimmel's <laughs> nephew must be the most tantalizing food source for these giant monsters or something. There's such terrible luck. Um, but let's talk about this creature. What did you think uh, of the of the raptor? Well, I, I to build off your point, I think that after the 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 crocodile, the turtle, tortoise, <laughs> giant kaiju yeah. uh, in the first, I think I would have been the Mandalorian that would have been like, this is not fine. We need to. We cannot live in Jurassic Park. We need to go. Like, and and meanwhile, the armor is like, we will not move. We like it here. It's like I don't. I don't like it here. Uh, So, and the fact that Paz is like, you know, it it always gets away. It's like, how many times does this happen? Like, (laughs) whose kids? Oh, but when your son, when your son is in danger, then we'll all search party galore. Uh, Let's go get everyone on that ship. Yeah, I I see you, Paz, with your sore loser son. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought that it was uh, it was a great way to introduce, again, the, the Star Wars stuff, of which is very Filoni, like you said, the, the man versus nature archetypal struggle, um, and also to set up what hangs over every storyline here, whether it's armor teaching Grogu, whether it's them going after Ragnar, whether it's Bo and Din trying to parent Grogu, whether it's Keller and Beck protecting Grogu. It's all about, or, or even the raptor, it's like she's trying to feed her babies. She, mm. from her perspective, you guys are the animal, and so it's all you know a matter of guardianship and and protecting. And as we get when we get to the end, which we'll talk about, the foundling applies to like three or four different parties in this in this episode. So it's the it, best it, part about the season so far, yeah, yeah, it tees yeah. up the entire theme with Ragnar getting scooped up. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I don't think we've seen the raptor in, and I, I'm saying raptor because that's how it's spelled in, in the, but they maybe just raptor. Um, but I, I don't think we've seen it in Star Wars, but I will say, especially with the way the eyes are shaped and the, the eyes on the, the baby versions, if you look at the creature that, that Boba Fett is riding in the holiday special. <laughs> I will tell you right now, there there's definitely some design uh, brought over from that creature, I wouldn't and be in a way, yeah. in a way, this kind of feels like belated justice. Because if you watch the way that Boba Fett treats that poor little creature, they're not little creature, but the giant like thing he's riding on, um, I don't know. I just <laughs> I just felt like maybe you know they had the gun, the the the, the rifle borrowed from there. So I'm wondering if mm-hmm. maybe they borrowed some design aesthetics from that thing, just the the face of it. Um, oh, I see. But, with the you know, bulging eyes. With the bulging that. eyes. Yeah. 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 And I mean, yeah. maybe that's just like a, a creature, a standard creature look. But um, but you you can see the, you know, 
they they usually tame these these beasts to ride on them because I mean as cool as jetpacks are like they're just running out of fuel all over the place and it's it's nice to see some actual limitations with these uh with these jetpacks yeah no I, I think that was great to see the limitation makes it plausible it's not like they're Iron Man with their infinite arc reactor <laughs> that's just an infinite amount of energy um I thought the CGI was really good for for the creatures I I think it was it was it was well done it didn't look didn't look shoddy or like you know tv standard again it's it's just how this star wars series seems to elevate um so that it feels overly cinematic um and and everyone was yeah like people were talking about the the idea of like well they should just get off this planet it's like jurassic park it's you know all these different (laughs) creatures and i think it's interesting that they occupy a planet like this because you know they they they're kind of seen as as tamers of of you know of giant of beasts those, of giant beasts mm-hmm. so it kind of feels fitting that they would be sort of um up for the challenge but that said like uh, you know they got to do something about uh about you know their their younglings <laughs> the and where they're training let's you know can we can we train indoors maybe maybe it's a little <laughs> more protected um because yeah like this is what the second time even even with his helmet on he still looks tantalizing right so it's, it's, it's <laughs> delicious yeah it was like a little little appetizer yeah i mean you, you touched on it there i go back to season one like to walk the way of the mandalore is to be both hunter and prey like mm. i almost wonder if to leave would be seen as a weakness like from the armorer's point of view like yeah. we don't relocate we just deal with it we picked this place. We're going to stay in this place. I would love to know more about that kind of stuff. Um, this is one of those those projects where because John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing so much, they haven't like doing so much expansion. They canceled the Visual Dictionary and like mm. they're sort of holding back on that stuff. I can't wait for five oh, six God, years yeah. from now when we have just books on books on books of all the details. But yeah, I mean it's 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 really compelling to see their relationship with this kind of stuff and like you said jetpacks they really they put the battlefront too on them like you don't get to get to fly around forever <laughs> yeah. get down and Love it. now we know that season five mandalorian we're gonna have three dragon riders ice and fire <sighs> style and it'll be let's great. go i'm so stoked and and it's just funny you mentioned battlefront like there's so many moments of this show over the past three you know two seasons into this third season that do feel like a video game. So it makes a lot of sense that they wouldn't just let them fly forever. Uh, But so listen, after scouting the beast location, Bo returns to tell Din, Paz, and the armor her plan. Uh, Din says he'll join her, and the armorer asks Paz to enjoin the Shriek Hawk training team uh, to accompany them, and uh, saying that she'll supply them with the extended lariats for their launchers, uh, and uh, she recommends that they go in quiet for the safety of the foundling. Uh, They take off, and Grogu, all sort of sad-looking, is just standing there, and the armorer asks him to join her inside the forge as she uses a heavy machine to forge a new piece of armor and in doing so the loud noise sparks and reminds Grogu of the uh, the night of Order 66 at the Jedi Temple where as uh, Jedi are being shot down around him he's led to an elevator and he goes down the elevator and as the elevator door opens it's revealed that Kelleran Beck was the one who saved Grogu that night. Uh, the two take off in a speeder uh, as they're pursued by two clone uh, uh, low-altitude assault transport gunships uh, after getting hit in the engine uh, and then narrowly escaping a train tunnel. They finally land on a platform where they're greeted by a fleet of Senate guards uh, who lend them an H-type Nubian yacht 
uh, to escape in, and they do so by flying off the planet into hyperspace. Okay, so... You know, after countless theories of who might be the one to save Grogu from the temple, not in my wildest dreams did I think that we'd see Ahmed Best in that role, but I have never been so happy to be so wrong. Alden, what did you think of Keller and Beck, also known as, by the way, like the sabered hand? Come on, like what a badass name. Uh, What did you think of, of seeing him in this moment? So you said not in your wildest dreams. It's funny. This was in my wildest dreams, <laughs> but I just, I, it just, it still doesn't feel real. Even yeah. talking about it now after, you know, shell shock for the last 24 hours or so. Like I remember for, you know, we found out that Grogu was a, a Coruscant temple youngling from Ahsoka in mm-hmm. chapter 13. It was a long time ago already. That episode came out in what, late 2020. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, it's been a while and we've all been sitting on this. I had my my favorite theories. My top my top theory of like this probably won't happen, but I'd love it was Gunji and the other kids yeah. that maybe oh. they got him out as a team. Um, with the and tooth. then with the tooth. <laughs> but then it was like I never. I was like, but we, probably not. I don't. You know, I don't see them being in live action, doing mm-hmm. a child Wookiee suit and keeping that cuteness might be hard. Um, yeah. You already mentioned Lumpawaru this episode as much <laughs> yep. as we love him. <laughs> kind of weird looking. Uh, so it's like, yeah. I, I, and then I thought maybe more realistically, it'll probably just be a random Jedi. I think I thought a cool one might have maybe like one handed Mace Windu in his mm-hmm. dying moments, getting as many people as he can out. I had all these ideas. And a couple of times over the past few years, because Jedi Temple Challenge was such a joy early in the pandemic era, just on YouTube every week, it was just such a fun show. Friends of mine would be like, what if it was like Keller and Beck? That'd be cool. We don't know what era he's from. We thought maybe he's High Republic, but he has sort of a prequel aesthetic. So they never really established the timeline for him, right? Yeah. You never get any hint of when that show is and it's canon adjacent sort of little bubble. (laughs) Yeah. And then we're watching this scene. And I tell you, gentlemen, I am such a stickler for watching it. I don't like to have the subtitles on. I don't like to have lights on. I'm laser focused. When one of them said, get him to Kellerin, I was like, hold on, hold on. I paused, turned the subtitles on, backed it up 10 seconds and hit play again. And I, I said, no. I was like, surely that must be the Easter egg. And yeah. like, you know, uh, the hallway will get blown up and he'll have to move right. a different Right, and then it'll way. cut away. Yeah. yeah, he'll have to pivot. And that's cute. That's fun. Then someone else said it. Then he gets in the elevator and I'm like, these... These guys, these madmen, they're going to do it. And surely when that elevator opened, I just gasped. I couldn't believe what was happening. And it was, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, I I tweeted about this a lot about how I'm at best on screen and off, whether it's as Jar Jar Binks slash Kellerin and the game show or in real life, he's always been about the kids. Mm-hmm. So how perfect is this? Like, yeah. who's going to protect the kid that we all fell in love with as a fandom, as a world? It's this guy. And for him to have this moment, it's 20 plus years later. Um, 
was awesome. And like even as we're recording, uh, somebody texted me an image of uh, Ahmed put up of his Jedi tunic, talking about the runes and how it's like inspired by Afrofuturism and all this. Oh, stuff. Okay, like, I was gonna so, say, yeah, I was gonna ask about that because his costume looked very High Republic, like you brought it mm -hmm. up. Like it almost felt like the uh, similar to uh, the librarian. I can't remember her name. I'm oh, Jocasta like, now. Yeah. yeah, and her her That's garments kinda, and yeah, and very similar to to that, which which kind of spoke a little more High Republic. So. That's that's great that there's been uh, an explanation that yeah yeah absolutely super that's awesome. super excited super yeah, excited cool. to to have experience so yeah I mean I could talk about this all day but like for you guys like did you watch the game show I, I wanted to ask I never I never did I I saw the like I saw clips from it and I was like that looks that looks really fun it, after seeing this I actually kind of want to go and I watch think, it myself yes, now it'll have a surge um of, I I think yeah out. and and I mean I know it was it, they they stopped it I think during the the height of the pandemic they don't, they're not continuing with it but um but the fact that we get his character uh out of it i just it's it, it's such a dave filoni answer <laughs> to this question of just like like i can just literally see someone being in the room talking to dave and like hey here's all of our options here's what the fans want and he goes keller and beck <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. it's like what hey did you guys see that game show tips his cowboy hat <laughs> like... yeah because yeah. you know he was all over that and 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 I think, um, you know, it makes sense from the in a, in a canon standpoint. He's so close working with the younglings. Grogu would trust him, would see him as a mentor. Um, and Alden, the first time I ever heard your voice was on your recent Star Wars and mental health episode, um, which, by the way, go listen to that if you haven't already on, on Octo Radio. Um, but on the topic of, of mental health, Ahmed's stories, I mean, we all know is such a rough one. And, and to see him in this role was so incredible. I remember, Justin, you and I were at the Phantom Menace panel, uh, Chicago 2019, and the massive stand-up applause for Ahmed as he walked on stage was so intense and so powerful. And so to have someone going from from being so tortured by the most toxic members of, of the fan base to being celebrated for his contribution to Star Wars, and now he's he's the the one to save the one character that seems to be universally loved by everyone. Oh, it just makes my heart so happy. Well, this is this is a moment of redemption for Ahmed Best. You know, it's it's a, it's allowing him to fully embrace the Star Warsness inside of him. Like you you see him in these fight scenes, he is oh. so kinetically. You know, into it the way he's just the way he stares down the clone troopers. You know, the way he yeah. uses the force. Like, it's like he wanted to do this for a really long time. So I'm, I'm, I was so happy to see to see the elevators uh, open and to see Ahmed Best sitting standing on the other side. I did make a prediction a long time ago, uh, whether it was online or offline, that the savior could have been Jar Jar Binks, which I th I, I would like to say could <laughs> still right. be that could still be a possibility. Yeah. There could still be a possibility for that. Um, but I think this is such a big win. I, I, I like you said, like Dave Filoni and Favreau wrote this episode, and I think this is such a a Filoni answer to who saved Grogu, uh, plucking the most unlikely, uh, as you said, canon adjacent character and canonizing them in Star Wars, making it relatable and giving him time to shine. I think, yeah, I gasped, I applauded, I you know got a little teary just to yeah. see him in this role uh, after after you know all the shit that he dealt with uh which was just unfair because it it wasn't him that needed to feel that it, it, it i get fans maybe being a little off about at the infusion of jar jar binks but you know 
the way they attacked it's just it's unnecessary and it was it was unfair and yeah i still remember that moment at celebration seeing him come up and we stood up and we gave him an applaud because not only just because of like the fact that he was Jar Jar, but because he was so open about his story and about his journey yeah. and what had happened and what what he went through and i think beyond anything everyone has respect for him for 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 what he went through so yeah it, this was this was a huge win and i was very happy to see it absolutely so beautifully said and i, I think that the way that it works on both those levels the real world level the meta level the easter egg level you mentioned jar jar it's like well it's a nubian craft like you know jar jar's a I'm representative saying. like is he the point of contact you got those naboo guards you have the ship like is it did he jar jar send me your guys see if they can yes, the ship. Exactly. like is it is it that kind of thing <clears throat> then you know the the thematic level with what we talked about with children and protecting them and then the real world level you, you know ahmed struggle and then Kellerin's first line in this, this which we know to be the most tragic, heartbreaking moment in the Star Wars mythology. Mm-hmm. His first word is, everything's going to be okay, kid. Like, <sighs> that's the, like, it doesn't get better than yeah, that. Yeah, like, it's yeah. so beautiful. And so then, well done. Yeah. And then, like, for, for fans who, you know, a few years ago, before these Disney Plus shows, a lot of people felt, and I understand this, a lot of people felt like, uh, is it, you know, is it... It feels like the movies don't really acknowledge things like, you know, it feels kind of separate. Is it really one big thing like we thought it was? Then you start to get like, oh, Cobb Vanth, he's from the interludes of the books. And, oh, Cad Bane is in live action. And then this is the, I think, the furthest they've ever gone into, yeah, if you consume everything, you, you will be rewarded. And sometimes you'll be rewarded in really, really emotional ways. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens with Kelleran. And I'm excited for Kelleran to get a figure to get shirts yes posters like you know he's already got a poster online man i can't i'm so happy that he's got the poster the the sideshow i want the sideshow hot toys like let's (laughs) get the whole thing I so I honestly I I think just to your point Elton, that I think that the one thing that I'm loving about what Star Wars is doing right now is it's it's all encompassing, mm-hmm. it's all encompassing of its canon, and I think this is just another example of how Star Wars is doing that is is pulling something so uh, adjacent to the to the main story. But can we just for a second think about how crazy it would be? If Ahmed Best is talking to Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> or yo, but what if what if what if an older Ahmed Beck is also <laughs> somehow oh. in that scene yes. or shows up in some way? Like yeah. I think just to see the two of them talking to each other at Star Wars, they can make that yeah. magic happen. I think it's possible. I think it'd be uh. great. I think it'd be great, and I still think that there's an opportunity here. Like you were pointing out, that that Nubian ship, it had to come from someone. There's only two senators that are there: Padme and. Yeah. And Jar Jar at that time. So and Padme. It, not Padme, right? Well, Padme so, would have been off getting what's called, would have been trying to get Anakin at that point, I guess. right? Like she, she would have been trying to she would have figure been out what was going apartment on. apartment crying, which sounds like a joke, but she was. No, yeah, like she, she, yeah. she could have also gotten Jar Jar to set up the ship and make sure yeah. that people were there. And then Go Jar Jar save, went about doing yeah, it. Get, so, get as many Jedi and younglings. Exactly. Be prepared. Uh, be prepared for, for mm-hmm. anyone because we'll, we'll, we'll expect. And, you know, he handled that, right? And mm-hmm. kind of, I was saying to Nate offline, the fact that, Jar Jar's sort of the reason why Palpatine came into power and became the Emperor. Uh, I believe it was the vote that he he did in uh, was it Revenge of the Sith, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, well, in, uh, a, in Attack of the Clones, he gives him he votes for the emergency powers that way. Exactly, they can, there it you is. Know, yes. Authorized, he votes on her behalf. That's the problem mm-hmm. is that they you know Palpatine knew that uh, that he was 
representing her, and then they do the if only Senator Amadala were here. <laughs> Why he's in an earshot, right? Yeah, so yeah. that he's just like <laughs> he's like I said, do it. Yep, right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, right. Before yeah. before we move uh, on for the story here, I know we've discussed this quite a few times, uh, Justin, on the Watch Club previously. Um, but you know, do you think there's a specific reason they pushed so hard to save Grogu, or was it that Grogu, listen, is a youngling, and just like how the Mandalorians see the highest honor as saving uh, a foundling, so do the Jedi, uh, and and maybe that's part of the sort of the reflection that they're trying to show in this episode? Or do you think there's like a legit like, no, 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 mm. this kid's super special. We need to make sure out of all the younglings, because the younglings upstairs, like they're getting, <laughs> unfortunately, they're <laughs> they're getting taken out. Um, so what about this? <laughs> you know, do you think Alden that that there's that they know something is special about Grogu, or I, is it just another youngling? I'm gonna go with it's just because he's out of all. It's it sucks to say. I, I I don't want to make light of it, but it's like kids upstairs, you're screwed. And their <laughs> their group, uh, Riva's group was on the main bridge passage through. When they're running yep. through, and her flashback, uh, some you know, uh, my friend Noah Olson on Twitter, he he posited maybe when Keller and Beck says there were no others, maybe the Riva's kids were trying to find him too. Mm. Um, that that would be you know a sad detail perhaps, but Jeez. it's like maybe that's what he means. Not other adults. Maybe it's like how many kids other you younglings. Oh, but I think with Grogu, I don't think it's that he's special outside of being a Yoda Yaddle species, which we know is a rarity. So like he's special in that way. I'm sure. I'm sure Yoda maybe kept an eye on him. Like oh, that's interesting. Or Yaddle too, because Grogu is the same age as Anakin, which is a fun right. fact. I always yeah. think it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Vader and this kid are the same age. Um, <laughs> But it's like, you know, maybe they were like, oh, one of us. Like, that's not common. But I, I think that in terms of the, the practicality of it, I just think it's because he's alone. Like, yeah. Grogu, there are no other kids in that particular hallway. Mm. Um, and maybe it's because he's he can't speak. He can't call for help. He can't. I think it's just about infancy and, like, yeah. helplessness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They did make it seem in the Ahsoka episode that he was sort of, like, segregated, if you will. Like, there was a, <laughs> there was a sense of isolation to Grogu. Like... Ahsoka was there. She never she never interacted and knew about him, right? Yeah. So it's interesting that like she spent all that time in the Jedi Temple but had no awareness of of Grogu. Right. Um yeah. so so like there must have been some sort of level of secrecy or protection around him because of as you're saying because he is a species that is of Yoda and Yaddle, which is so funny to say in the same sentence, Yoda and Yaddle. <laughs> um but um Yodel yeah, Yodel Yaddle. Yeah. So I, I just think that there might be something, but I also think that you're absolutely right. There's a sense of vulnerability, there's a sense of infancy to him. Um he he's not fully with the force. So there there is a urgency to protect, obviously, those who are because of, of what's what's happening right now in the moment of Order 66. So it's hard to say. I think that there's still what's great is that this answers the biggest question, but there's still a huge cloud of mystery around the rest of 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 his of his story because we're so far back. Like if we think about where Order 66 is and where we are right now in in the Mandalorian, there's like what like I think like 30 or more years of, yeah. of time that's passed. I mean so... Grogu the same age as Anakin, so Grogu's 23. Or yeah. 20, 22 when this all goes down. Um, wow. And so Grogu And now he's like 50-something, like right? Like, yeah, he now, in, he's in his, yeah. now he's he's 50 when Din meets him. So if he got plucked up like most species do in his infancy, Grogu could have had 20 years of temple time 
It's just that relative to his species, it was like, I've had this baby for 20 years. He's still not speaking. Like, but that's just like, you know, that's that's just what happens. I'm sure Yoda yeah. would have been like, he will. Don't worry. Well, that's yeah, and, Yoda's, and the funny Yoda's thing like, is that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's like Yoda also still doesn't quite necessarily speak properly. Unless no. that's Right? Because we know that, that Yaddle, that's not how their species necessarily talks. It's just him. Yes. That's, yeah. that's such a funny detail, too. Justina <laughs> Ireland. In Out of the Shadows has a Yaddle scene. She speaks properly. She's in mm-hmm. Cataclysm. Lego, she speaks properly. So it just like is is Yoda from like some continent? Is he from? Is it like a? <laughs> is it is it is it like Australia versus yeah. like Europe? And, like is that the like? <laughs> and Yaddle was in Je- uh, Tales of the Jedi, right? Yes, yes, yeah. And, and also that was that properly. was yeah. Bryce it speaks Dallas properly. Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. love it. Yeah. yeah. And what's really um, funny that's been. I've been thinking about with Grogu since the beginning is that he's 50 and this is, you know, really like nerdy, like nitpicky, like I'm sure, you know, uh, when Yoda dies, he's 900 and he says for 800 years, have I trained Jedi, whatever the line is, which means that Grogu's got 50 years to be ready, not only as an adult, but to train others. He's about to have the most rough 50 years of puberty there's ever been. (laughs) He's got to be so, he's, he's going to be, Din's gonna be in his 80s, 90s, and then Grogu's already gonna be like, "I'm ready to retire." Like, yeah, just, yeah. Give, just give me like Seth Rogen voicing Grogu <laughs> when, he, <laughs> when he hits puberty. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you, Justin, last week's episode, I was like, I'm so worried for Grogu to talk because I don't want to. I, I hope I like his. No, voice. that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, exactly. So as long as it's not Seth Rogen, uh, let's keep going here. After the flashback, the armorer presents Grogu with his next piece of armor, uh, a rondel imprinted with the signet of the Mudhorn uh, that she says he'll grow into as he grows stronger and into his station i know we just stopped um but i want to quickly just chat about this what did you think of the beskar circle that she gave grogu um i have been predicting since he got the chainmail mithril shirt that you don't give him unbreakable armor and then the ability to leap like yoda without teeing up some sort of he's going to jump in front of a blaster bolt for his dad. And now they've doubled down. They put a circle there. I was like, because Din did that for him in the season two finale. He jumped in front of Gideon's blast. I think that at some point someone will have Din, you know, dead to rights and Grogu will jump in front of him or, or something like that. And yep. it'll, it'll be like the Frodo moment where he gets stabbed in, in the mines of Moria. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everyone will be like, oh, God. And then it'll be, oh, okay. You know, he's, okay, he's got he's the fine. armor. He's fine. Um, it was so tough to watch his little face, though, when she's making it. And he's all sad. And, and, and it's just it's, every time it cuts to his sad little eyes. But also the fact that she's like, you'll grow into it. And I'm like, not not by much. <laughs> I don't yeah. know yeah. how I mean, much that's more like, he's got. On an adult piece of like medieval armor, that's just usually for like a like a shoulder joint or something and it's his whole belly <laughs> armpit uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah a little armpit so it's like i'm curious like are you gonna adjust like uh, you could have made him a little square little breastplate but it is funny i think that um i wonder like will he show din at some point and be like look at what i got like superman <laughs> pose um yeah. it was cool though i mean it's the armor is such an interesting compelling character because mm. she is we know as like you know we have the god view of we know all the characters even if they don't know each other we know she's wrong about so much and that she's an extremist and that she's a kind of fundamentalist conservative weirdo on the spectrum of mandos (laughs) but she's not without compassion and care Mm. i didn't feel like grogu was unsafe with her she means what she says when she talks about protecting and solidarity and loyalty it's just that 
you're, you're looking at Grogu and it's like, man, like, I just want you to be able to be a child. And I know that this woman will not give you a normal life. Mm-hmm. But th- you see that, too, though, with Din, like in the way that he's forcing him to like go the next di- step. You know, you have to be an apprentice. Right. Like in that moment with without really acknowledging, like maybe maybe there's a way to have the best of both here. You know, you don't need to abandon that entirely. But, I, you know, I, I just want to applaud this 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 season uh, for really diving deep into the lore and the sort of primitive nature of the Mandalore. Um, and, and you know, re- reoccurring this idea of how the armorer and the experience of watching this metal be molded into a piece of armor, you know, kind of unlocks the 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 soul of whoever's there right like we saw it with with din i think it was in uh episode uh chapter three of season one when he has his own how he became a foundling moment and flashback and now we see grogu have that same experience and i think it just it cements this idea of like there's such a a a deep lore to the mandalore culture that just hasn't been fully explored and this i don't know this season is really digging deep into it and you know spending time with the covert seeing seeing these these younglings seeing them fight together this this whole episode just feels like a real testament to it and then you have this real moment with the armorer who yeah like she is you know, when, when she says this is the way, you know, she means this is the way, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that is her belief. So, um, but yeah, I, I just think that they've done such a great job with enriching the culture of the Mandalore. And I love that his signet is is the Mudhorn. Mm. Clan Mudhorn is what we'll call them, I guess, at this point. Uh, <laughs> let's keep going here. Uh, as they land far enough away from the beast as to not alert it, Bo, Din, Paz, and the Shriek Hawk training team continue on foot traversing the rocky planet. They reach the base of the spire where they tuck in and make camp. Just as they're about to eat, Bo asks Din how they're supposed to eat when other people are around, uh, which he explains that uh, that they all go off and find a place to take off their helmets and eat by themselves. But Paz tells Bo uh, that because she's the leader of the war party, she gets to stay by the fire as she eats. They wake up the next morning and uh, they all climb, ensuring a, a stealthy uh, approach. And once they reach the top, they don't see much inside the nest, but Din uses his helmet to detect a heat source. Paz ignores Bo's request for him to wait and storms the nest, saying, He's my son! Uh, And he searches through the nest, calling out for Ragnar, until he's attacked by three baby raptors. Uh, So let's pause here. Uh, What did you think of the, first off, the respect shown to Bo around the campfire? And what do you think of the reveal that, yes, this abducted foundling uh, is Paz Vizsla's son. I was uh, excited to see that Paz slowly, with not a lot of scenes, um, has become kind of a fully fleshed out character. And, mm-hmm. and to, you know, or at least more so, like he, he started as being, that's beefy Mandalorian. And he has a Black Series figure already <laughs> because he's beefy and he's cool. And yeah. we know it's Jon Favreau. Um, but now he's he's got his own family. We know that House Vizsla goes on. We know that that Ragnar has a, an importance too. Um, that you know the blue armor and his little blue child's helmet. That there's a connection there, um, and that he is not a, the Din's biggest fan, but that they can connect as fathers, and that yeah. they can connect through the way, and that they've as much as they've been at each other's throats literally twice um, in season one and in Book of Boba Fett. Um, they 
also have had each other's backs and that when Din needed to escape Navarro in season one, Paz was there and he gave him the salute when they flew by. Yeah, um, that's what was I a remember. dope yeah. moment. Yeah, 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 it was so good. And then similarly, now it's like when he when they need each other, they're they're there. And I think that a brotherhood is forming there. It's like I don't have to like you, but you know, there is that moment of thanks and Din just says this is the way. And so I think that this was all really effective. Mm. Yeah, I, I I said it last week. I said I think the there's going to be a bond that's going to grow between Paz and Din um, because I, I don't know what Bo-Katan, her intentions are. Mm-hmm. I think in some way she might sabotage the group within um, and, and maybe stir stir the pot a little bit based on her beliefs versus you know the armorer's beliefs and we'll, we'll talk about that scene later i'm i'm thinking that this you know while while paz was able to pay respect which i think his creed you know th- what he believes in that goes a long way so i think in the moment he is he is trusting of Bo because she is leading this charge so she says you know what you're the leader you der- deserve the respect it is your uh, you know your honor to sit here by the fire but really, at the end of the day, he disregarded that order that she said and just decided to charge to save his son. Mm. You know, I don't know if that, that respect really is as earned yet for Bo. But you can see in the moment where Din passes Ragnar back to Paz, even with their helmets on, there's a sense of gratitude. So there is a bond that's forming there. So I think, to, to Alton's point, yeah, they might have been at each other's throats, but I think we're we're seeing them bond together. And I think that they're going to find a way to be on each other's side because I know Paz Vizsla's, you know, heritage has had quite a problem with Bo-Katan's past, right? So there's, which there's is, a history there. Which is why I thought it was kind of really intriguing the moment that he sort of says, like, you get to sit by the fire. And mm-hmm. and I, I it's interesting, too, because on one hand, you're sort of looking at this like, that's just his Mandalorian, you know, the, that's just, sorry, the, the children of the watch, that's their tradition, that's kind of, you know, this is the way sort of thing. But at the same time, uh, you know, you got to imagine her taking the initiative to save his son probably brought her up a little bit uh, in his eyes. Um, and, and again, you know, with the uh, that being the highest honor that they can sort of achieve is, is saving a, a foundling. Um, Ragnar, you know, if if truly is a, a Vizsla and not just like an adopted foundling, do, who do you think the mother could be? Do we have any ideas on who, uh, who Paz might have gotten with? <laughs> I'm gonna have to scan through the uh, the episode and, and be on the lookout for for the the T visors that are always used for for the women. How there's, like, there's a different shape. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a different shape. If there's yeah. a slight look over or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. I thought it was a foundling. Mm. The, you know, the episode is titled Foundling. I, I think it's referring to foundlings in different ways, as 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 you were hinting at. All so he things. only like claimed him as his son. Then I, I think I think so. I I think so. I, again. You know, when we were doing the Watch Club for Chapter 17, uh, I had made the prediction uh, that, you know, that this kid must have meant something to Paz. The way they cut that scene and they showed the kid with Paz's face and and then, you know, the way Paz comes in and, you know, pushes the kid out of the way and starts shooting. Like it was indicated early on that there was some sort of connection between Paz and this and this boy. Um, So I, I, I think there's still more to explore there, maybe in terms of. Is he, you know, a foundling or is he of of his blood, right? We'll have to wait for those those uh, books that come out that actually say, you know, Ragnar Vizsla. Or uh, maybe you have to go back into the, the, the credits to see if maybe he's he's credited as such. Jimmy um, Kimmel Vizsla. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I also wanted to shout out the cinematography from Dean Cundy was so excellent in this episode. I, I, I didn't mention it earlier, but that shot of Bo chasing the beast into the sunset was so fantastic or, or just seeing the Mandalorians like traveling in a line on the dunes was just breathtaking. And it, I think it really made, you know, I think one, one of the complaints that I remember we kept having uh, and it's, it, we, it's, it seems so naive. Some of the complaints that we had in season one back in the day, Justin, but you know, of like the montages, like, okay, it's like a walking montage, but this makes the travel montage so much more enjoyable when you've got these beautiful landscapes that are just so gorgeous and so shot so well. And I don't know. I thought it was really great. Yeah. I just wanted to add about the, the cinematography and direction. A Carl Weathers is great at action. Uh, mm. Obviously the man knows action himself, Yeah, uh, but he also uh, did the siege, which had the great razor crest mini dog fight with that wide <sighs> and in season two. So I love the way that Carl Weathers and Dean Cundy did Din catching Ragnar in this. Yes. A, a great sort of helicoptery looking skydiving yep. shot. And like that moment of double floating right before he scoops him up into that. And you hear it's, that flute? Yes. That flute just comes woo! in and I was just like, woo! Yes. <laughs> so sad. They, they must sit there with the, all right, hit the flute. Now. He did something cool. Hit it yeah. now. Like, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, after staving off the attack from the three young beasts, it's Mama shows up to feed them Ragnar after regurgitating him. Uh, Paz flies towards him, but uh, as his son is dropped, Paz gets caught in the mouth of the beast. It flies off, and the other Mandalorians fly after it. Eventually, they free both Paz and his son uh, as the beast falls entangled in wires into the water below. Before it can fly out, it's eaten by another one of those big crocodile beasts or alligator beasts or whatever they are uh like the one we saw in episode one there's always um, a bigger fish there's always a bigger fish let's all say it together <laughs> there we go uh, <laughs> din returns ragnar to paz and paz thanks him uh and, and he responds with this is the way uh, upon returning the covert uh, cheers for their the safe return of the foundling which the armorer tells Bo is the highest honor of the creed she responds with this is the way and she also mentions that they've brought them three more foundlings in need of care and treatment Training, uh, and we see the three baby raptors uh, being brought out of the ship. Uh, so some extra brownie points for both Din and Bo this episode. Uh, what do you think this rescue means? Uh, and we kind of already touched upon it, but what do you think this rescue means for their reputation? I feel like with Bo-Katan, it's an interesting situation where she is, like, this is not sustainable, right? The the armorer actively blames Clan Kree's for what went down, particularly Bo-Katan saying she's a cautionary tale mm-hmm. and that her reign ended in the purge. On the flip side, Bo-Katan directly blames the children of the Watch, saying they have your cult abandoned Mandalore way before the purge. So that's just, it's going to come to a head. Right yeah. now, what's interesting is that Bo's realizing I can't just guns blaze this because it's not black and white. And as much as Din is brainwashed, it is undeniable that they have at least the moral, not high ground, but the moral base of we do mean what we say about protecting children and the innocent and all that stuff. And that's how that's how the cult gets you, right? Is that they are right about one thing and then they do all this other stuff. And so it's like she sees Din and Grogu and she cares about them. And she cares about saving Ragnar, who's an innocent, because she's lost everything. Her family, mm-hmm. she's nostalgic for her father, obviously Satine. Her castle's destroyed. Her group left her. So I think she's in a vulnerable place and maybe thought, 
for a second, these people aren't all bad. And that's why she went the extra mile. And Din feels like, wow, I brought someone else into my family. But then, you know, we'll talk about that end scene where suddenly gaslighting yeah. begins. So it, no. it, it, it's hard to say. I think she went the extra mile because she cares. But Bo-Katan's, she's she's committed sometimes mm-hmm. to great things, sometimes to bad things. She'll always go that extra mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think doing the rescue was obviously in in good in good faith. She she understood, you know, she wants to help these people. She wants to do that. I, I totally agree. But I do think she is she is feeling the situation out. She's trying to win people over. I think, like you said, she can't necessarily just go in and and stir things up. I think she's getting a sense of how does this all work, right? And you know, like like you pointed out, Alden, like they they have both said on opposite ends, you know, that they have been the cause of why Mandalore and the Mandalorian culture failed. It's just it's all there for some compelling political drama that might, you know, blow out to like a full on divide between this group of who they want to stick with, the armorer or Bo-Katan. And I think that's what's that's what's going to really drive uh, a wedge for Din. Where does his allegiance lie? Is it with the armorer and his people or is it with his new friend Bo? Right. And that that's I think is going to be a huge challenge uh, as as they go through. But obviously they look good. They look like the heroes here. Um, they've earned more respect of 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 the entire group. They're all the better for it. But I think now this was this was strategic for Bo to do this so that she can kind of be elevated and be seen as as someone of, of good faith. Well, and I'm I'm really looking forward to maybe another moment of of you know dad paz and dad din <laughs> kind of being dads together um i would love to see you know maybe even like a sequence where they're 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 they've got their kids like fighting each other again and the, but they're both you know having a conversation about it and joking about it um cuz i do think that that beef is now squashed i hope uh, and i hope justin if if you're right if they are uh, if we are going to see maybe a, a split up of this uh, this covert, um, I, I I really do think that Paz is poetry be man. On, it's going to happen again, just like it inside. happened to Mandalore. It's yeah. going to happen to this Mandalorian covert. Interesting, though. interesting. Uh, let's get to that final scene. Our final scene: we see Bo sitting in in the forge uh, as the armor asks if she'd like the signet of the night owl for Bo's replacement pauldron. But Bo. Uh, well, staring longingly at the metal Mythosaur skull on the wall, um, or I guess Beskar Mythosaur, they probably made it out of Beskar, uh, asks if it would be acceptable to wear that instead. The armorer says, uh, she says she agrees, and that the Mythosaur is for all Mandalorians. After the piece is done, Bo asks the armorer what she'd say if she saw a Mythosaur. And the armorer says she'd be very lucky as it's it's a very noble vision. Bo says, no, no, no. Uh, I actually <laughs> saw one on Mandalore. Um, and uh, and she's like, you will see many things uh, when you walk when you choose to walk the path of the Mandalore. And Bo's like, no, it was real. I was in the waters. And the armorer just responds with this is the way. And the episode ends the same way it did last week with Bo staring at that mythosaur skull. Uh, so... Why do you believe Bo chose the Mythosaur skull for her second signet? And do you think the armorer believes her? I think that the armorer does believe her deep down. Um, but the armorer is in an interesting spot where, again, she does not like Bo Katan Kreese. We know mm. this. But it was, she was in public when they arrived in the previous episode. She welcomed her in. The armorer is in this place now where, like leaders that manipulate people, um she is like i gotta stick to rules in front of other people 
Right. Hey, welcome to our club, <laughs> I guess. And now I feel like this this slow, the gaslighting begins of like, oh, did you really see it? Mm, this is the way, I guess. Like she, <laughs> it's like you of all people, the religious leader yeah. should jump at this, but you're not because you don't like that Bo-Katan saw it. And that's mm. the truth. Like you, like I think that's the underlying thing is that if it had been Din, if it had been Paz, if it had been anybody, you would have been all over their claim. Because it's Bo-Katan, I bet after Bo-Katan left the cave, she was like, why her? Why her? <laughs> and not me or someone in my crew. Um, I think that there's a there's a tension there of like, this is supposed to herald the, the resurgence of their people. Bo-Katan already was supposed to herald it when she wielded the Darksaber in Rebel Season 3. So yeah. we saw how that went. And so, or Season 4, rather. Uh, so it's that interesting sort of tension there of Bo-Katan once again has an opportunity, um, but somebody doesn't want her to have that opportunity. And I think as for why she chose it, I think Bo, much like, you know, this is a Filoni project as much as it's a Favreau project. He loves his Lord of the Rings. I feel like she's sort of a Boromir-esque character where she is she would do the whole like, why not use this ring for good reasons? Oh. And I yeah. think that Bo probably sees the mythosaur and has been thinking about it and wants it here because she's like, yeah, yeah, I am. I am that B-I-T-C-H. Like, I am that. <laughs> I am the one. And I think that she was down in, down in the dumps, didn't fight Din for the Darksaber when she could have, did not challenge him when uh, Gideon, they had Gideon, you know, on the light cruiser at the end of season two. And she was sad in her castle and everything. And maybe like, I'm out of the game now. I think now she feels like, oh no, I'm She's back in, in the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. She decided to not tell Din about what she saw because she knows that he currently wields one half of of what will inevitably bring the people of Mandalore together, and that is the dark saber. And if she is able to tame and ride the Mythosaur, she will be seen as as the just leader. So maybe she's thinking, well, I don't need the dark saber. I saw Mythosaur. I can tame that, and that's going to be that's going to be how I'm going to win my people back. And I think that this is all, you know, for again, I say political gain, right? Like she's she's making moves cautiously, and also I think that, um, you know, like you were saying with the armorer, it is very much like keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer mentality that I get from her, and which is why she's being overly friendly and welcoming of Bo. Um, so I think that. You're right on the money there with there's going to be some there's going to be some conflict between these two. And I think what we're seeing here is just sort of like a little tidbit of it. I think you're you're both right. I think I, I took it in a little bit of a different way when I saw this. And, and maybe I'm taking the wars out of Star Wars. Um, but I, I, I said it last week and I I think I might continue to say it, actually, despite all this. I think one of the main themes of this season will be compromised by the end. I think Bo might not get back the life that she thought she'd get, and she won't necessarily give in to all the rules of this this covert uh, of this this clan. And I think she's starting to see herself potentially as someone who can come in between the beliefs of her now disbanded crew and and kind of what she sort of stood for in in season two and and the the beliefs of the children of the watch. And I think, to me, this was almost like a visual representation of that idea. She's literally at the center between these two ideologies. 
Um, and Din and Grogu, I think, are also going to help, obviously, with with other people seeing that uh, and or have or kind of already started to do that, as we've described with with Paz. So I, I, I just to me, I sort of saw it that way. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, both uh, uh, the ways we're seeing it here could be correct. And the armorer could still necessarily be uh, one of the, the antagonists of the season. I feel like we're getting some some Star Wars Game of Thrones level of 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 political politics yeah Yeah, right like it just feels like that Mm. it feels almost like there's a battle like you brought up like the the symbols of legitimacy like like uh house of the dragon season one i don't want to spoil it for any of your listeners that did not watch that but there is talk toward the end of the season of like he has the conqueror's name he has the conqueror's throne he has the (laughs) conqueror's sword like yeah of what makes it what makes gives you the perception gives you the air of being the right person and when you look at mandalorians it's an interesting thing where the armorer right now has the way and the numbers she has the people and she has their confidence din has the prophesized weapon and bo has the prophesized creature the thing that they've built their entire thing on all three of these people right now reasonably could have a way forward in some way and it's almost like Who's going to want to create a way forward? Who's go- and then there's then you got people like Sabine Wren out there and Boba Fett that are kind of like, yeah, we just kind of do our own thing and uh, have <laughs> yeah. fun with all that. Um, but yeah. Sabine's yes. like, I literally gave away the symbol of legitimacy. Yeah, so. that's what I mean. Like she gave it away to Bo, right? Mm-hmm. And yet she was not she was not deemed worthy by her people mm-hmm. for her to actually have that because she didn't win it in battle. So you know, again, it's it's. I think you're so right with the way you said it. I didn't even think of the armorer as as another fra- fraction of that of like the legitimacy of how she has the people, she has the belief, she has the numbers. Like that is a huge part of it. So it's really a triangle of power. I love it, and I I, I still think though by the end of this series, uh, maybe by the end of the season, but definitely by the end of this series, I do think this is the way. Uh, and we've been saying it each week, but I think it's changing. I think it's going to eventually be, it'll still be the same phrase, um, but it'll be, it'll mean something uh, completely different by the end of it. Um, and I, I also want to just shout out Emily Swallow uh, for her line delivery here, where I'm just like, does she believe her? Does she not believe? Like, just so but phenomenal the way she have, says that line. But it's funny how, like, that's almost like a sense of acknowledgement. Like, she said it to Din in, in chapter 17, and it, kind of felt like she was passively agreeing you know like if you can do it this is the way <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah it's really interesting to see sort of like how she has to balance like we don't know what she feels as a person we don't know how she felt how, how does this woman what are her opinions we don't mm-hmm. know because she's so dogmatic and is so about um you know what what is supposedly right by the book but she has to have some opinions i've always thought you know her her horned helmet is a sign that she either is a Zabrak or she threw in with Maul back in the day. That would be um, so sick. You know, it's like, I don't, we don't know anything about her except for the fact that she's claims to be all about this. Um, you know, when Paz challenged Din and Book of Boba Fett and lost, she let Din leave in peace. She, she, I felt like she could have challenged him as well. She didn't. She's very like, she plays it plays it chill. I like when she's like, "Come, Grogu. There's much to be attended to." Like her, her. She's so like, yeah. she's gonna do my job, but she she quietly wields power, and that makes her more frightening. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. Well said. Well and said. I love Grogu's little waddle every single time. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, let's get to our overall thoughts and final score for this episode, which for this episode, we're going to be rating it on a scale of one to five rescued <laughs> foundlings. And if you're counting, I think there are five rescued foundlings uh, in this episode. Um, Alden, as our guest, I'll have yes. you start us off. Uh, yeah, overall thoughts. I mean, this is this was probably one of my favorite episodes of the whole show. Uh, it, it had wow. everything. It had all the, the thematic elements that I love. It had the Star Wars pulpiness. It had the high fantasy. Um, I keep saying, like, in, I, I loved Andor to death. It's not a shot at Andor. But in the wake of Andor, there was a lot of, like, this is what it should be. And I love that mm. Mandalorian Season 3 came around and was like, yeah, we're going to give you a swamp pirate and a uh, a sad princess. His castle is going to get blown up. Yeah. And here yeah. are some dinosaur birds. And Classic like, Star Wars. Like It just doubles and triples down on silliness, yeah. um, but takes itself so seriously. And and this Keller and Beck stuff, I mean, like enough to make anyone just emotional and everything. So this mm-hmm. one for me is like, give me all the give me all five of them. Give me the I'll rank it up there. Um, give me five rescued uh, younglings or foundlings rather and a youngling Grogu's both um, <laughs> just a f- fantastic this is going to be up there for me for sure and that that top group episodes with things like the sin and the Jedi some of my favorites yeah very cool yeah I, I I'm I'm totally with you Alden I think that f- like for this episode to be a 30 minute episode uh, the shortest uh, episode that I think we'll get from uh, this season, but yet it achieves so much and it ticks all the boxes. It delivers on a fun adventure. Uh, it gave us uh, motives and, and, and in, in tr- intrigue for, you know, the story for the rest of the season. And while also answering some of the biggest questions we had in and around Grogu's uh, past. And while it gave us some answers, it didn't answer everything, which is great because there's still some mystery to to unravel. You know, the fact that they, they brought back Ahmed Best as, as Keller and Beck, I think that just elevates this episode. Uh, it really does uh, hit an emotional point for, for us as fans. And sure, it was fan service, but it was fan service done right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to be giving this one a uh, five out of five rescued foundlings. I, I think uh, please give um, Carl Weathers more to do in Star yeah. Wars because uh, I think this episode was well paced and well balanced. Um, for for everything that it had to deal with, like for for being able to show us this sort of monster adventure rescue mission uh, that had such a deep cut underlining message about who is the foundling? Is it Ragnar? Is it Grogu? Is it Din? Or is it Bo-Katan? There's just so many different layers to it that I really appreciated. And, you know, again, hats off to to Filoni and, and Favreau for just being able to write these episodes so well and connect all the dots, uh, you know, bringing things back from past seasons and bringing in all of this canon lore, like bravo, well done. And, you know, like you said, Alden, you know, Andor was great. It's such a unique and different vibe from everything else that we've got from Star Wars. But, you know, having spent now four episodes with this season three of Man- The Mandalorian, it's it's refreshing to be back in this world. And in all honesty, this is classic classic star wars so yeah i'm gonna be giving this five out of five yeah i mean last week you know uh with the the people calling the the andor lorian uh episode and uh and you know i definitely think it was beautiful to see that we could get a blend of those flavors but again this is that star wars comfort food back again um short and sweet i i you know i think it gave myself and and obviously other star wars fans a beautifully unexpected an incredibly earned moment uh, in more ways than one. And, and it was great to see 
the Mandalorians working together and to get to see a little bit more of their traditions like we were, we were talking about. Whether or not uh, those traditions stay true by the end of this season or series, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to know where we came from to know where we might be going. And so I think that the, the more that we can sort of get of these sort of rules established to understand how important it might be to potentially keep some of them or break some of them um i think will be you know really rewarding as we kind of go through this uh the mirrors shown in this episode between the two cultures of of, you know that that grogu is representing i think really helped to flesh out his experience uh throughout all this and i i just couldn't stop smiling this entire episode i was just smiling and smiling and smiling and obviously smiling even more when we got to see ahmed best um carl weathers Knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Again. Again. Um, yeah, solid five out of five rescued foundlings. I was at a 4.5, but I'll be honest with you, after this conversation, bumped me right up to a five. And how do you uh, have a child? How do you, how yeah, do you true. have a foundling? I mean, have Grogu is kind of, he's kind of half, he's kind of half of a, uh, a Just feed him to a raptor, you know, and then that's it, right? <laughs> there we go. Well, they don't, but they, they don't chew maybe. Do, I guess the baby. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah, uh, they're like birds. Yeah. They look like giant pigeons, so they look like they would probably just <laughs> eat like ducks. Well, that is it for this week's Watch Club for The Mandalorian Season 3. Before we wrap, Alden, can you let our wonderful listeners know where they can hear your lovely voice and see your fantastic face, which thankfully isn't constantly covered by a helmet? That is true. At least not yet. I might adopt that at some point when I give up. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me uh, personally at that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z is everywhere. Just, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Hive, all that stuff. Uh, if we're still on Hive, I don't know if we are. Um, and then <laughs> as a community, <laughs> you can find me at uh, Octo Radio, Star Wars podcast. It's where I'm doing the Mandalorian Diaries right now. Uh, it's mostly one-on-one interviews with people like you mentioned Ryan Johnson was on. And we're going to have Lydia Kang on soon for oh, Higher wow. Public. Uh, also, uh, co-produce and co-host Casterly Talk with Ken Napsog from the Force Center podcast feed, where we talk about Ice and Fire, Rings, Willow, all of our uh, you know sword and sorcery fantasy Willow. stuff is there. Willow, yeah. so good. We're, we're praying for it. Can't wait. <laughs> the long wait. I can't wait, but I'm willing to endure the long wait. Yeah. Um, yes. And then, yeah, writing different places on the internet. Catch me at Star Wars Celebration, uh, teaming up with my buddy Goose from Triad of the Force for a panel uh, Sunday on the Holonet news stage. So that's where you Very can find cool. me in wow. the immediate. Cool. That's cool, man. That's very cool. Um, well, listen, uh, we will have those links uh, in the description below. So definitely, definitely, everyone go check out Alden stuff. As I said, just a a, a wonderful light of positivity. Yes. Um, in in a in a sea of negative tweets, uh, I just <laughs> it's always so nice to see, uh, and I appreciate it so much as a Star Wars fan. Um, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or your predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, well, you don't have to see your son get abducted by a giant winged creature. Instead, Justin, can you let the children of the Watch Club know where they can reach us by hollow message? Why, yes, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or uh, they can reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other great episodes covering the latest in movies, TV shows, and games, including our recent spoiler-free review for the Apple TV original series, Ted Lasso, Season 3, Episodes 1 to 4. Alden, are you on that Ted Lasso train? I am not on the Ted Lasso train, which I know makes me like a, like a, like a unicorn. Um, but similarly, also on Apple, also Brett Goldstein. I love shrinking. Oh, uh, shrinking. So I, yes. I'm watching shrinking, so I'll, I'll get to Ted eventually. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I keep saying it every every time we talk about both those shows. They kind of feel like they're in the same cinematic universe. 
uh, being the same creators. And so <laughs> if you watch Ted Lasso, you'll kind of be like, oh, I could totally see maybe a crossover someday, uh, which would be really dope. Uh, we also have our most recent This Week in Geek episode where we were so lucky to be joined by Q107's own Fearless Fred. We hung out with Fred to discuss some Star Wars movie news, his thoughts on The Punisher returning to Disney+, and we discussed his new comic series with his first issue out now. Uh, the series is called Dead Romans, and it's published by Image Comics. Uh, he was kind enough to share some insight on the new series, which looks absolutely incredible i'm halfway through the first issue i had to put it down so i could prepare for this uh this podcast but i know justin's read it it is pretty fantastic chef's kiss um if you enjoyed this watch club and can't get enough of star wars we also have our star wars the bad batch season two watch club going on right now with next week being the double episode finale alden i know you've been digging on that bad batch oh yeah man i i am so ready to be sad uh, oh, and yeah. uh, I am ready to see Crosshair make it right. However that ha- however that has to be, um, I'm ready for him to to lock eyes with Hunter before one of them probably dies. Oh, oh, oh God! I don't know about that. I prediction. really hope not, man. I, hope not. I just want them all to be happy. I want Omega uh, just to have a little like. Honestly, we were talking one time about. I was like, I just want a moment. Uh, a la, you know, Last of Us Two, if you've played it. But I want Omega and Crosshair, and he's just teaching her how to shoot with a sniper like let's or let's what if go. he's like give me that bow and he just starts <laughs> mowing people down with her energy bow like lego just shows stop. her up boom, boom, boom. <laughs> i could also be that's how you use a bow yeah, yeah i could see yeah. that um also listeners we have our interviews out now uh with this episode or sorry not with this episodes but with uh producer for this series and director rick famuyiwa as well as bo katan kreese herself katie sackoff where justin had the chance to sit down with both of them to discuss their voice in the larger mandalorian story and there's a lovely moment about star wars parenting uh between katie and justin so go give those episodes a listen uh on your podcast service of choice or you can check them out on youtube at youtube.com slash geekcentric uh and now that listen i know i'm going a little long on these uh this wrap up here but i do want to just mention we've reached the halfway point for this series uh of our watch club this is our 17th watch club as we said at the beginning of this uh this watch club we've done this 17 times uh and this will be the first time where unfortunately we will have to take a slight pause uh, as the host for this show I'm going to be a bit busy between moving back to Ontario and something else I'm super excited for uh, and I just will not have the capacity to host the remaining episodes weekly which I know is kind of a bummer but alas this is the way Uh, but we will be putting out a spoiler filled discussion about the remaining four episodes after the finale comes out on Disney Plus in April uh, because I have no idea how I would be able to live without talking about this uh, on this podcast with my friends. So um, we will definitely be covering the remainder of the season, and I'm just so excited for it. Uh, Lastly, and this is the other thing that I'm so freaking excited for, and the reason for the delay, the Geekcentric podcast is going to Star Wars Celebration in London, and I am so stoked. We'll be dropping an episode shortly after Celebration wraps uh, to let you know what we saw uh, and to give you some highlights from the convention. Alden, I know you're heading to Celebration as well as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the panels besides the one that you're, you're going to be a part of? What is the one that you're most excited for? I will punch a child to get into the Ahsoka panel. <laughs> punch one right in half. <laughs> I will punch it in half. I will throw it up at the dinosaur raptor. Like, like I'm sorry. 
it's not personal if you see me doing the elbows like to get yeah. in like that 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 to me I mean, obviously studio showcase everyone's excited for studio showcase yes, everyone wants sure. to see uh movie plans show announcements indiana jones like everyone wants mm. to see it. but oh yeah the ahsoka panel the ahsoka one, it's all yeah. been building mm-hmm. to this as a rebels fan like you were saying justin like like that's that's my favorite thing and like i, I gotta be there that's the one that's the one I chose as well. Uh, so stoked. So make sure to subscribe. Click on all the things. Follow us on all the socials. Uh, and be sure to check out also our TikTok at We Are Geek Centric. Justin's doing some TikToks over there uh, as we try to, uh, to, to be more like younglings. Um, Alden, <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, this, this is, is the way. way.